We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. Welcome back. It's the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always my co-host Nick Galato. Coming down a little bit after last night's loss. We were angry. I was angry. I listened back this morning, Nick. I had a crazy rant on there, but, you know, in the moment, in the heat of it, motions, you know, played a factor there uh, for all of us, I believe. I said this online today, Nick. I was doom scrolling last night. Till, like I looked at my phone. It was like 4.13 a.m. when I finally stopped, and then I couldn't <laughs> sleep for like two hours. I saw the sun come up this morning. It was horrible. I'm on two or three hours sleep today. Just a disaster all around this team has put us in, um, you know, but we move forward. We have time today to look at the tape, and that's what we did. We watched the All-22 film. There were some positives, which we'll go over. Obviously, there were a lot of negatives, which we'll go over. But first, I want to talk about something that you brought up to me off-pod, Nick, that I thought was a great point that I haven't seen discussed a lot on Giants Twitter today or by any analysts or beat reporters. And it was the impact of the loss of Daniel Bellinger. And obviously, those know now, Daniel Bellinger and John Michael Schmitz got injured on the push-push push, uh, play the fourth and one sneak that the Giants didn't convert, double injury. As you can see from the rest of the game, both before and after Bellinger left the field, the Giants weren't able to run 12 personnel the way they wanted to with Bellinger not on the field. You mentioned it best. Cager had, what, five snaps? Lawrence Cager is not Daniel Bellinger. Lawrence Cager can't block like Daniel Bellinger. Lawrence Cager doesn't know the offense like Daniel Bellinger. Lawrence Cager has not been taking first-team reps with Daniel Jones like Daniel Bellinger. The chemistry is not there either with Daniel Jones, just in the passing game alone. And it impacted what they could do in the sense that you saw a lot of shotgun. You saw a lot of 11 personnel. You saw a, you know, in some ways going away because they did run the ball out of shotgun. But you saw them go away from running from under center, in my opinion, after Bellinger's absence. So I want to leave. want to start there, Nick. What, what do you make of that impact? And 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 how can the Giants really adjust? Because we we kind of get the feeling now that this team isn't as as effective out of 11 personnel as they are out of 12 with Bellinger and Waller on the field. The hope is Wandale Robinson will change that with him coming back to the lineup. He offers something different than Paris Campbell. And maybe you can establish, I don't know what the state of this offensive line, a quick passing attack like the Giants did at the end of the season out of 11 personnel. I'm not as hopeful for that, but the Giants went into this game with the thought, and this isn't an excuse, but I do believe it's a reality that they would lean on their 12 personnel, try to run the football establish a run like we saw a little bit early in the game and then work the play action pass to spread right. that defense out, stretch them vertically, stretch them horizontally. But once Daniel Bellinger got hurt on the tush push, 
I don't even know if you really saw 12 personnel. You saw some big offensive linemen with Matt Parrott coming in. Lawrence Cager received five snaps. I think some of them, Darren Waller came off the field. Darren Waller played 69 of the 75 snaps. So it's not like the Giants were going to go in 12. And you can't go in 12. This was something that we discussed around final cuts. Look, if you keep Lawrence Cager, if something happens to Daniel Bellinger, you have two wide receivers, two former wide receivers as your tight end. This team is predicated on creating explosive plays when they do off the play action passing attack, Dan. So if Bellinger goes down, you're not going to threaten anybody in 12 personnel double Y sets, which is a huge part of this offense. So I think that I think that Bellinger injury, man, I know it doesn't seem like that much. He's a second year tight end. We rave about him on this podcast, rightfully so, in my opinion. But I think that really took some of the wind out of the sails of the Giants offense when there really wasn't that much wind to begin with. Yeah, I think it's a great point, Nick, especially when you look at the game script, right? Like Seattle didn't score any points really on offense the entire game. They had one touchdown drive with Drew Locke, and then until garbage time, that was it. They had a touchdown off a 10-yard field where Daniel Jones fumbled and then the pick six. And so this was a game that was winnable like that if the Giants were just going to get under center, run the ball, and then use that to work play action. They only had to put up, you know— 13 to 20 points, I think, to win this game without the turnovers from Jones. Obviously, that would mean Jones can't throw a pick six and Jones can't fumble inside his own 10. But if they had had zero turnovers in this game, the Giants, I think that was a recipe that would have worked in this specific game plan. It wouldn't have been pretty, but it would have looked a lot like that Bears or Carolina game from last year. But that didn't matter. They just needed to get a win. So I think you're right. It screwed up their whole game plan. And that's why everything looks so horizontal when you look at the passing chart from the first half of that game. Insanity. I've never seen a pass chart look like that. I mean, everything was sprayed in the out, outside the numbers in the five-yard range. Nothing in the middle of the field. Nothing in the seven to expanded range. And so it's hard in game to adjust, but it does make me think, Nick, like, some teams can adjust to injuries in game, right? Like it's not impossible. It's not, we haven't never seen it before where offenses are just derailed by one injury and that's yeah. it. And so it just feels like this team doesn't have that in them. It doesn't have that gear uh, right now. And so I like that you bring that up though, because it's something to keep an eye on. We don't know the extent of the Bellinger injury. I think it's a knee, but it's something they're going to have to keep an eye on, obviously. Yeah, I'm not a doctor, but it looked like he grabbed his knee at the end of that play. You know, I just hope he's okay because I do believe he's a very valuable asset as a second string, quote unquote, tight end. But we just know how important 12 personnel is with the construct of this Giants roster. One other thing, too, that I think compounded that issue, JMS ended up getting injured on that same exact tush push play. Right. John Michael Schmitz is a center who is a rookie. I get it. But you get Ben Bredesen back from the concussion protocol in the previous week. Was not there. He's like, okay, I'm playing left guard. Awesome. First drive, JMS exits the game with, what is it, a concussion? I'm not really 100% certain. Shoulder. Now, shoulder. Now, Ben no, Bredesen. Push push, it was a shoulder. Yeah. Ben Bredesen has to move to center now. And you're bringing right. Shane Lemieux back into the football game until he ends up exiting and Mark Lewinsky comes back in. None of those names I just mentioned should be playing in those respective positions in the National Football League. Ben Bredesen is not a center. I get they cross-trained him. This is a little bit different. Ben Bredesen had a lot of mistakes throughout the film. Shane right. Lemieux, look, I don't want to just trash on this guy. He shouldn't be playing in the NFL. Shane Lemieux was getting tossed around by guys like Draymond Jones and players like that. It's not like he's going up against Aaron Donald in this matchup, and he's just getting tossed to the side. Marcus McKeithen, look, I Bad like him game. as a— terrible game, but I like him as a developmental player. But if you're relying on him to start on an offensive line that has a guy who's not 
a center playing center and then Shane Lemieux and then Evan freaking Neal on his right side. That's a terrible recipe for a disaster. You're throwing Marcus McKeithen to the fire here. So it's just a bunch of, I've used this term before, but a bunch of cascading effects, Dan, are plaguing this Giants offense right now. And the lack of competent depth in the interior parts of the offensive line is one of the primary reasons for that. And you mentioned Bredesen having to go over. Like you said, yeah, he's been cross-trained to some extent to play center, but he hasn't actually done it in game. And what makes that even crazier is two things, two factors. One, after the game, I think it was Duggan or Art or one of the beat reporters said they saw him basically limping around the locker room. So he's hurt. He's playing hurt. That's horrible. Shane Lemieux also left the game with an injury. But the second factor is, you know, I know it's year five and we expect more, but I don't know how much control Daniel Jones has over these pre-snap protections. Like I talked on the on the reaction pod about the free blitzer when Devin Witherspoon came in and Jones was completely unaware looking to his right sack like I'm surprised that wasn't a forced fumble sack because Jones was just totally unaware of it and then you know the discussion as well is the center supposed to be calling out protection John Michael Schmitz wasn't in the game that's a problem but there were two or three other times one or two I should say other times three total times where there was bad pre-snap protection calls and bad pre-snap protection checks and no sliding when they needed to slide and like maybe when he went out John Michael Smith's that went to shit and Daniel Jones can't do it apparently or they want Daniel Jones to focus on trying to process post-snap I don't know man but all I know is Tom Brady the shit doesn't happen Eli Manning the shit doesn't happen those guys were in control of everything they had to check pre-snap they had to set the protections and they had to put uh, process post-snap and we're in year five and I expect more from Daniel Jones and I expect more from Brian Dable to try to put that on Daniel Jones's plate because because there has there has to be some kind of fallback for this type of situation where you lose your center and he's the one in charge of making all these calls and you have a backup in and now you're left speechless and in a terrible position. So I really thought that put them in a bad spot. You mentioned it, but he's a nice guy. He's a hard worker, but Shane Lemieux can't play in the NFL for the Giants. He shouldn't be playing in the NFL in total. It was a bad draft pick to begin with. He never looked good at all in pass protection. This game, he had some moments in run in the run game, but then he had some really bad moments. The clip you sent me earlier that I put on Twitter, Nick, um, we can maybe run that right now, or we don't have to run that. It's, <laughs> it's probably you know, you know. I think I have it in the, in the in the. I think I have it in the offense. We'll run right it though. at some point, yeah. but he just gets tossed to the ground on a run play in the most crazy fashion I've seen for a starting NFL offensive lineman, and that's just the run game where he's supposed to be at his best, Shane Lemieux. So he can't start another game. Like I'd rather pick someone off the street, honestly. And we'll We'll talk about what the Giants have tried to do to kind of, uh, you know, combat that and all the injuries in a second. But I'd rather pick someone, anyone off the street, literally, to play over Shane Lemieux. I'd Go ahead. play Mark Lewinsky. He's on the roster. Yeah, that's and the I thing. Get... Like, I'd play Mark Lewinsky. Like, enough of that. I, Look, there's something weird's going on behind the scenes, obviously, there. I'm sure he hated being benched in the first place for Marcus McKethan. But, like, he still has to play. He's a professional. He's getting paid a good amount of money. So if you say play, you play. And if they say play, he plays. I mean, go ahead. I didn't I didn't really want to read into this too much. But Bobby Johnson, when he was interviewed, I think it was on Friday, when they come out with the positional coach interviews on YouTube, go check them out, for Giants YouTube. He alluded to something of the fact that it's a collective decision, which isn't really novel. But the way he phrased it made it sound like. Joe Shane has something to do with the fact that McKeithen is in there over Gowinski. Okay. Just, I think it could have been interpreted that way. I don't think Bobby Johnson was throwing shade or doing it deliberately. But when you do think about it, and Mark Lewinsky was terrible, I, I get that. But why is Shane Lemieux getting snaps over a guy like Mark Lewinsky at this point? Right. There, my point is, I think there is something, and might not have anything to do with Joe Shane, but I think there is something going on behind the scenes with the Mark Lewinsky situation as to why the Giants could suffer this many interior offensive line injuries and you're still not putting your highest paid interior offensive lineman that wasn't 
you know, yeah, he is the highest paid interior offensive lineman out there. That's just a little odd. Yeah, especially because he had all the snaps last season. He has continuity blocking next to Neil. There's so many factors. No, not good, but still somehow better than Shane Lemieux, which is insane. And you mentioned Marcus McKethan. Like, it was a fun story against a bad Cardinals defensive front, but he's looked pretty bad the last two games against real defenses. And the Seahawks don't even have that really good of a pass rush. And so there were some reps that were really ugly for McKethan in this game. And then you talk about Neil, man. We're now four games in on Neil. Neil, dude, like... I'm getting really worried about Neil being yes. just an app, ab- just a abject failure and a total bust at this point. Maybe that can be solved and saved at right guard. I don't know. Uh, I mean, he played on the left side. His best tape on the left at Bama came on the left side. We know he's not going to play there for the Giants. Andrew Thomas is playing there, but he's just so slow, like off the snap. It's just insane to watch him. Dan, have you ever like been by a lake and you stepped in the muck and you, your feet get stuck? And you're like, oh shit, and you try to like lift your feet out of. The- that's what Evan Neal looks like trying to cut yeah. off a wide-angled rusher. Crazy. I sent you a, a I sent you a clip, and it just seems like any time a defense aligns with a four technique, meaning a defensive player directly over the top of Evan Neal, and then a linebacker stacked doesn't have to be directly stacked, but a linebacker kind of looking like he could come through the B gap. He's chilling. He might be coming on the blitz, and the Giants aren't sliding protection, meaning that all you're going to have is McKeithen and Neal on that side the wide rusher is going to beat Neil to his set point because Neil has Every to respect time. the four technique because the linebacker could come through the B gap, which means McKeithen would take the linebacker. Neil would take the four technique and Jones would have to either get rid of the football to take that edge, throw hot, do something to protect from that wide rusher. But Neil doesn't have the foot speed to cut off the wide right. rusher. And this is something that we've seen defenses start to hone in on. We saw Seattle do it several different times. Neil just does not have the athletic ability and speed to get out there. I'm sorry. I get it. He does split squat jump. He looks good with his shirt off for a 360 pounder. He's not quick with his feet. He's very, very slow footed. It just is what it is at this point. I think there's a reason why he didn't test at the combine. I think there's a reason why he didn't test at his pro day. I think it's because those numbers were going to be shit and he would have fell down the draft board. He had nothing to gain by having good numbers because he was being discussed in the top five already. That's a great point by you, Nick. And the only thing that I find like so concerning about, like not concerning, but just like so confusing about that is like Orlando Brown Jr. tested the combine, had the worst testing in the history of the NFL combine, (laughs) remember? Zero percentile. And like he's found a way to make it work in the NFL due to his size and his technique. Like it's just amazing to me that Evan Neal can't be in that same Orlando Brown Jr. mold. I thought he would be. I thought that like to me, I always felt like Neal was more of a floor pick than a ceiling pick. And that's fine. Yeah. But I thought his floor was going to be a guy who just doesn't lose that often around the edge. And the, the opposite's happening. Like his floor is a guy who loses every snap around the edge, these speed rushers. And he actually had some decent reps when people tried counter moves. And I felt like and tried to like win inside against him. And he had some decent reps in the run game, too, I thought. And he has had some really good reps in the run game. But it's that, like you said, if he has this one massive deficiency with beating with finding a way to block these speed rushers around the edge. He's going to get killed and he's going to kill the Giants because there were back to back snaps at one point. I think it was when they uh, came out in the third quarter, maybe, um, you know, and they were in pass mode at that point. Like they weren't even threatening run, but there were back to back snaps where McKethan had a horrible rep to blow a play up. And then Neil had a horrible rep to blow a play up. And it was just like, well, this is the state of the Giants offensive line right now. And I understand, you know, what people say. And it's true. Like, we're not stupid. We see the film. The biggest culprit for this loss is still the offensive line. 
We just don't believe that he's the only, it's the only culprit. That's kind of where we're at differently exactly. than I guess other, other uh, analysts or fans, if you want to call them that, whatever you want to call them. Like we just can see through that. It's not only the offensive line, but it was a really bad performance by this offensive line. Uh, and it obviously is impacting Jones. It was brutal yeah. on the offensive line. As you do as well, by the way. Yeah, I was just about to bring him up. But McKeithen, he's just very raw right now. I don't know how many times he hugged a Seattle defender. He could have been called for so many holding penalties. Holding. Yeah, he was just, he was just hugging. It was like Valentine's Day in first grade out there for McKeithen, bro. The dude was just hugging so many of those guys in a Zudu. Look, dude, I didn't feel like he was terrible until really deep into the second half. Yeah. He just, dude, he's a let him play guard. And he's not a tackle. He's another one who can't protect his outside shoulder. And I don't really blame him. The guy spent much of training camp at guard. Every time a speed rusher, again, from a wide angle, this wasn't necessarily an athletic ability issue. Like Azudo has a lot quicker feet than Evan Neal, in my opinion, but he didn't know how to use his hands at the top of, of the pass rushing arc. And he just didn't know that you have more time to stay square to the line of scrimmage. He was always on that like 1.5 steps in his pass set. He was opening his hips, giving that, easier that easier edge into the pocket you got to be more disciplined with your hips in those situations so yeah man azudu it did not look great i I still think azudu can be a a solid football player inside Inside, but pass protection has been his big issue as well and it's just none of these guys are developing none of them none of them are developing positively we always say on this podcast mark scofield quote you know it's the trajectory it's not always ascending And with the Giants, it's like they drafted these players and they just stagnated and there's no development whatsoever. And you have to start pointing the finger at that point. I'm sorry. You just do. Yeah. And you have to also not only start pointing the finger, you have to start considering like, who's to blame for this at some point? Like, I don't love the blame Bobby Johnson stuff just because I don't know enough about offensive line coach. I talked about this last night, but like, (laughs) I don't know what else to do at this point. Where do you turn to like, why are these guys not developing in any way? Like for Neil, it might just be that he's just as a pure bust, but for some of these other players, they're just not putting together film. That is anything to get excited about. And like you said, a big problem in my mind is we have players playing out of position. We have Bredesen playing center. We have the Zudu playing left tackle. Like these situations shouldn't occur. These situations shouldn't happen for the giants. And yet here we are sitting here and, 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 and seeing it. And it felt like it was all fixed or, working in the right direction against Arizona. And then it's just kind of collapsed and concaded on itself. And one more thing about the offensive line before we bring up something that could end up being important, which is just a crazy thought. The giants are not the only team dealing with offensive line injuries. They're not the only team playing musical chairs on the offensive line. They weren't the only team doing that on Monday night football. The Seattle Seahawks had this same exact problem yet. They were holding up other than Dexter Lawrence just kind of running through the center on several yeah. different plays from what I've seen. And I felt like Kayvon and Aziz were also dialed in specifically, specifically Kayvon. I still have some film to watch with the defense, but I just wanted to bring that up too. Like there are a lot of teams with offensive line issues. The Texans have a ton of offensive line issues and they don't look nearly as inept as a New York Giants. So that is a convenient excuse, but I want to bring this up and I think it's important. And I hate the fact that I think it's important, but the Giants signed Justin Pugh to their practice squad. And I think this is a move that is actually, it could benefit the Giants because the Giants right now, they desperately need veteran leadership in the interior parts of their offensive line. You have Mark Lewinsky, who's your only like true veteran, and he's benched. Then you have McKeith and JMS. Shane Lemieux was essentially not a rookie because he did play back in 2020, but he missed several seasons, a season and a half with injuries. You need a veteran presence. And I think Justin Pugh, just remembering back from his time here in New York as a giant when he was a first-round pick back in 2013, 
he's a good leader, man. Very respectable. I think this type of signing is is something that I don't want to get excited about because it's, what is he, like 33 years old? He's an older guy. He's coming off of injuries. But he is a more competent, at least even in his elder age when he was playing in Arizona, he's more competent than I think any of these other interior offensive linemen not named JMS right now who's a rookie dealing with a slight injury. That's crazy. That's a terrible situation to find yourself in, Dan. Like an absolutely horrid happenstance. But here we are. I just wish the Giants signed him when they had that extended week. So we know they worked him out. Right. If they were thinking about doing it. They probably should have signed him then so we'd be a little bit more ingratiated with the organization. But I guess the Giants were like, well, Ben Bredesen is back. He's healthy. We'll be fine. Well, guess what? You're not. Yeah, because he got hurt again. Like I said, Ben Bredesen seen limping in the locker room after the game. I wonder if the signing is more based on the fact that all these guys are injured right now and they may just have nobody to put out there. Which is crazy to think about. Like Bredesen can't go. I don't know what they're going to do at center with unless John Michael Smith comes back fast, which doesn't seem likely. I would agree and, with that. I don't think that's a bad point whatsoever. But at the same time, it's like you need to do something. You can't just keep trying right. out this interior offensive right. line. You need to go out and go fishing, find some yeah, right. interior offensive linemen. Man, the other part of me is like that was only one part of me. The other part of me is like I am a little bit quote unquote excited. That's probably yeah. not the best word to use, but like, uh, you know, <laughs> intrigued intrigued is not even a good word to use but, for this uh, one like, again like i think you could use intrigued but you have to understand that we're only intrigued because of what we saw without him so yeah. we're expecting him to be just better than that which is you know not that difficult to be at this point in terms of nfl players because the giants are at a low like the giants might have the worst offensive line right now in football which they, is crazy they, they do that. even though they they yeah they do probably have the worst offensive line football performance wise that may not be name wise because again like you said texans seahawks dealing with a lot of backups too but they're just performing better for whatever reason the word i would use would be relieved by the justin Pugh signing because not only is he going to bring a veteran presence nick but he has also played some snaps at tackle which yeah. believe it or not might come into the mix at some point Jeez. if zudu continues to struggle and if andrew thomas's injury continues to linger or he has a setback like you already had or if Neil just gets to a point where you, where you give up on Neil at tackle, which, you know, I didn't love the idea of doing it earlier this season until next year, but you know, four more games of tape like this from Evan Neal, a full half season. And I'm, I, I don't know if I'm going to be ready to give up on him as a tackle. I might be close. Um, or it might be at the point where he needs new coaching, but he did try to work with like Willie Anderson this off season, whoever it was and like retool his arsenal. And it's like, Anderson's like, yeah, he's firing out of his stance faster. That's what we one thing we worked on. Well, where where is that on the tape? Because <laughs> I haven't seen him doing it a lot on the tape. Uh, it seems like the same old slow fire out of the stance and loss every time to speed rushers. And I can't even imagine how bad this is going to look, by the way, against the Eagles, against Hassan Raddick. Oh, like, I'm stop. scared. It's going to look really fucking bad, man. And so, I saw, like, a pass, I saw a pass rush with Hassan Reddick this week where he was so low. He was basically crawling yeah. on the ground, yet his feet were still flat. I was like, how are you that flexible? I feel like that was almost what Aziz did on the first sack, the Kayvon sack. He got not that quite close. to that level, but yeah. like kind of close. Um, Aziz, we'll get to it on the defensive podcast, but you know, I've seen like, uh, I've only seen probably 60% of the game defensively because I watched a little bit earlier and then I tried to come back to it today before we recorded. But like, the defense to me <laughs> had a fucking good game. Like, yeah, I don't know, man. Like, at least yeah. I've only really seen like into into Q three a little bit of Q three, but like the pass rush was alive. Everyone looked explosive. Everyone looked active. The energy was great. Kayvon's energy was better than it's been all year. As he's had so much to the team, like you said, Dexter Lawrence had some fire reps. Leonard was fine Leonard, in there. Leonard, like, yep. 
the D line just looked good and looked dominant. DJ Davidson, DJ Davidson's the Davidson's third best fine, defensive line fine for them. Like he'll be a player on yep. this team next year. Like, so we'll get to that more in the defensive podcast. And I'm just trying to search for any kind of positives here, but yeah, I, I, wanna, do I want to bring up one more yeah. thing on the offensive line. Obviously, Andrew Thomas returning is going to improve the offensive line because he's arguably one of the best, or he is one of the best left tackles in football. But I think it also might help the interior offensive line, not just from a continuity standpoint, but now you have Josh Azudu at your disposal to put at left guard or right right guard or center or wherever the hell you want to play him because he is that versatile. So I think whenever he comes back, Andrew Thomas, that's like the Giants just got to be waiting on that. And it sucks so bad that he wasn't available for this game. We kind of got, you know, lured into the fact that, oh man, you know, he's going to be, nope. But then something he said, it just didn't feel right. So I'm just just hoping that he's going to get healthy, dude, because he's at this point crucial to this offense. Soft tissue injuries are tricky because him saying it doesn't feel right could turn into another two to three weeks. First of all, second of all, if it does feel right and it feels right enough to go back in the game, there's compensation injuries that are available to him now. This unfortunate. There's also re-aggravation issues with any kind of soft tissue. He may never be the same player he was last year based on this. And it's just so unfortunate, so unlucky. It happened, you know, on what the play where he was running the the, the block kick, like he's running down block kick. I mean, it's just insane to get injured on a special teams play. The luck the Giants have had this year when it comes to injuries, they've had Andrew Thomas injured on a special teams play. They had two basic starters, and I'm considering Bellinger essentially a starter because they want to use 12, and 12s are been what they like to use most. Injured on a tush-push play, like that's another random unlucky injury. It's just, I feel like there was another one I'm just forgetting. Barkley injured at the end of a yeah. game when you're icing the clock and you're just trying to run clock out to kick a field goal. Injured on that play when he gets rolled up on, like, it's been a really unfortunate year for injuries with the Giants. The problem I have with that, Nick, is like I look at the Ravens across the pond. They're not across the pond. I look at the Ravens <laughs> down down the turnpike in, uh, in Baltimore, Maryland, and the Ravens have so many more injuries than the Giants. Like The Ravens are one of the most injured teams I've ever seen. They are without their left tackle, their center, millions of guys in the secondary. Like, you know, both their starting receivers outside of Zay Flowers, Beckham and Bateman didn't play this past week. Mark Andrews missed a week. Like every running back they seem to sign gets injured. <laughs> like they're winning football games. Like, so it's like, I hate to blame the injuries when other teams have them too. And they're finding a way and we're pathetically losing what combined 64 to three on Monday night at home this year, the giants are down 64 to three against the Seahawks Jeez. and the Cowboys. Like, it's uncompetitive football right now. And it was competitive for that game until the pick six. And that's the craziest part. It wasn't competitive because the offense did anything. It was competitive because the defense did a lot, but we want to talk about exactly, man. There were things that broke the giants way, right? Like they didn't get the fourth and one that didn't break their way. They got all the way down to the end zone through a pick six. So the giants, offense they were driving the football throughout this game and then like we said on yesterday's podcast seattle's defense was just trying to give the giants offense an opportunity to get back yes. into this football game it's just the offense couldn't seize the opportunity which is wildly unfortunate when you're even on that pick six drive like yes even on that pick six drive like the drive was probably going to be over on that second and t- down play where they got a one yard loss but they got a lucky face mask against Brita in that extent of the drive like they're about to get hit with third and 11 we know they're not converting third and 11 last <laughs> night like let's be honest about situation so they got some lucky breaks too the few- Seahawks missed a field goal the Seahawks missed the fourth and one that I thought was stupid of them to attempt in the first place I thought up that yeah. many points they should have taken that field goal I was greedy and aggressive but it didn't come back to haunt them so it's not like they didn't get any breaks the Giants in this game it's just there was very a very incompetent offensive game. Let's get into some of that now, Nick. Actually, before we do that, I know there's one more talking point we wanted to touch on before we get into some of the film and stuff like that. 
Um, Eric Armstead, we talked, we talked, we talked a little bit about what Devin Witherspoon said, but Eric Armstead after the game for the 49ers, 49ers defense lineman, he said, Daniel Jones, I'm so disappointed in you. Why would you throw the ball so quick versus us? And then let these people have a career day. Why weren't we deserving? And he's, you know, laughing emoji and just such a disrespect levied toward toward the Giants, toward Daniel Jones. And I don't even like, you know, I saw uh, your boy uh, Ed Valentine like tweet tweet out how like he just thinks it's disgusting by Armstead. Like I, I'm a trash talker guy. You know this from from playing games against me and some competitions that we've had. Like I enjoy this Mac talk. I think it's part of the fun. It's like I don't blame Eric Armstead at all for this. It's just Mac talk. But like I just don't get why this doesn't happen to all these other quarterbacks. It feels like Daniel Jones is getting really just trashed week after week by these opposing defensive players. I know Micah Parsons came to his defense today and said, like, you know, look at the offensive line. And it's not all Daniel Jones's fault, but it's just crazy that that the Giants have become like this laughing stock for other teams at this point. And it's it's a, it's, it's super unfortunate super unfortunate there's just no respect for daniel jones around the national football league and i think a lot of people saw him get the bag i think a lot of people also saw the <laughs> dispute if you will with the giants not signing saquon barkley and yes. saquon barkley has the utmost respect and then they're equating well why are you signing the quarterback and not the running back i think there are a bunch of reasons why you sign the quarterback over the running back we've gone over them i would say ad nauseum at this point but at the same time i think people are just looking at the two players and how talented they are. And they're being like, well, now you need to produce Daniel Jones because you're getting paid $40 million. And Daniel Jones just flat out is not producing right now. Is the offensive line shitty? Yes, the offensive line is a big reason why he's not producing. There are a lot of quarterbacks in the National Football League who don't have great offensive lines, yet they still produce. So, and we're going to go over some of this tape here, Dan. And there are plays that Daniel Jones did leave out there uh, on the field. And there were plays like the, the Devin Witherspoon sack where... It's like you should probably know that's a five-man protection. You gotta you gotta be aware of the fact that that cornerback is chilling well inside of your outside right. receiver. He might be blitzing. You need to account for him. Like that is a rookie mistake. And if you're not gonna account for it, at least look to his side when you snap the football. Don't look to the other side of the field. Like, what are you doing? Like, throw the like and again, maybe like you said last night, Nick, it's on the center, I guess, the backup center in this spot. I don't but think I don't think it is though, man. I don't think I mean, it Orlovsky, is. And Orlovsky it, tweeted about it too. Right. And I will listen to him because he's a former NFL quarterback. And according to Dan Orlovsky, over 50% of the snacks sacks, according to Orlovsky, were on Jones. And I know Giants fans hate to hear that, especially the Jones, you know, stands, but that was what Orlovsky saw. I wasn't sure. I, I, it's hard for me to know sometimes, Nick. And I think some of these sacks were like this one-yard losses where he tried to climb the pocket. Like, yeah, that yeah. to me is just like whatever type of shit. But like, you know, I'll say this about the Eric Armstead thing and the Devin, and like the the comments stuff. I think part of the problem is that, that you know, NFL players are, are only have time to really watch the island games, the primetime games. And yeah. Daniel Jones has been really freaking bad in primetime. Thursday night football against San Francisco – 130 yards, couldn't move the football. And then against the Seahawks last night, who came in with the third worst pass defense, couldn't move the football, looked horrible the whole night, like missed throws, missed spots. And and when that, and you know, what's his primetime record now? One in 12, Daniel Jones in primetime games? Something like that. Something yeah, really so bad. it's like one in 12 or one in 13. And so, you know, that's part of the problem too. They're not seeing the Arizona Cardinals come back. They're only seeing the bad. And so, yeah. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What's going on, Big Blue Banter listeners? I'm excited for the football season for several reasons. And one of those reasons is Prize Picks, which is North America's largest independently owned daily fantasy sports platform. And it's so simple to use. Instead of battling thousands of other players, including professionals, sharks, and people who are going to exploit you, you pick more than or less than on two to six player stat projections, and you just watch the winnings roll in. It's very simple to play and gives you a little extra skin. I've set my picks in less than 60 seconds. There are so many stats to choose from, and the withdrawals of funds are easy and quick. Dan and I will be adding a segment to our show before every game where we pick our favorite stats, more or less, yards or touchdowns, what have you, and we'll be discussing why from a scheme, matchup, and game theory perspective. I love their promotions and how easy their interface is to operate at prize picks. I may select more on tackles for a loss from Bobby Okereke or Kayvon Thibodeau next game. They also do other sports as well. It's a really cool experience. Please join Dan and I in the fun of prize picks. Go to prizepicks.com banter and use code banter for a first deposit match up to $100. Again, go to prizepicks.com banter and use code banter for a first deposit matchup to $100. You will not regret it. This is Dan Schneier, the Big Blue Banter Podcast. In case you didn't know, the show you're listening to right now is part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Blue Wire was founded in 2018 on the concept that independent podcasts would be more successful if they worked together. And now Blue Wire currently has 300 shows with athletes, celebrities, passionate fans like myself. I found Blue Wire right around the time when I started the Big Blue Banter podcast. When I started Big Blue Banter in 2018, I had an idea for a show, a name for a show, and then I had to figure out how to monetize that show and grow that show. That's when I found Blue Wire. Kevin Jones put everything on the line for this company and then found us and this show a way to monetize the content with strategy sessions, provided us new segments, connect us with podcasters, and even gave us an opportunity to record in the Win Vegas studio. Blue Wire has now raised over $10 million privately to grow and operate the business, and they're raising another round right now on WeFunder to expand the sales team and improve the operations. 
WeFunder is a crowdfunding service that connects startups with investors. It gives everyone an opportunity to be a part of the growing startup. This is not a donation. You're investing to own a piece of BlueWire. If you would like to be a part of the BlueWire investment round, or you want to find out more information, go to WeFunder.com slash BlueWire. And remember, supporting BlueWire is another way to support our show and this podcast. Make Little Caesars, the official pizza sponsor of the NFL, part of your game day. There are few things better in the world than kicking back, watching some football, and biting into some delicious Little Caesars pizza. Order online during our Pizza Pizza pregame, one hour before and three hours after NFL kickoffs, plus all day on Sunday. And get ready for some football and fun. Choose your favorite Little Caesars pizza or pick the toppings you crave. Old world pepperoni, pepperoni, extra cheese, Italian sausage, olives, onions, pineapple if you're into that. Put it on half the pie, the entire pie. There are so many other options that I don't have time to name. Slap that on a round crust, a thin crust, a stuffed crust, a Detroit-style deep dish. Either way, you win. And speaking of winning, everyone scores with convenient delivery or our in-store pizza portal pickup. So grab some friends and enjoy a few slices during... The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. The game. I enjoy sports. I enjoy comedy shows. I enjoy live events. And whenever I need tickets, I use the GameTime app because it is the best, least stressful way to acquire tickets to any live events in your area. I was in Las Vegas a couple months ago, Stanley Cup Final, Game 1, I'm not even a Vegas Golden Knights fan. Didn't matter, I got tickets at a good price and experienced my first Stanley Cup Final, thanks to Game Time. It's the number one spot for last minute tickets, flash deals for football, basketball, baseball, concerts, theater, comedy, whatever you can think of. And the game time guarantee means you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section in rows for less, game time will credit you 110% of the difference. It's the fastest growing ticket app in the country for a reason. Snag the tickets without the stress with game time. Download the game time app, create an account, and use code BANTER for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, Create an account and redeem code BANTER for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. And, and one thing, too, about the whole primetime record it's not great when it's that bad. Typically, though, you're playing good football teams True. in primetime. You always got to keep that in the back of your mind. Daniel Jones actually had a couple solid games in primetime that the Giants defense ended up blowing out of their ass. But also, some of his worst games were in yes. primetime. If you think back 100%. to the Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay Buccaneers game. The Giants should have won Tampa against Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. What was that, 2021? And Daniel yes. Jones was horrible. And then Daniel horrible. Jones, because of a great catch by Darius Slayton, ended up driving the team down the field and put them in a position to tie the football game. And then he threw the pass behind Deion Lewis. 
late that. as hell behind late as hell. Yes. And, and that was a terrible game. So he hasn't risen to the occasion. Like if you have to evaluate how Daniel Jones has played, I'm not going to sit here and just be like, Oh, he's one and two. Oh, he sucks. Can't play in practice. But he has had some pretty damn bad yes. games when the, I when would the lights say are the, the two worst games of his career came in prime time. I would consider this to be the worst game of his career. And look, if you're going to jump down our throats and be like, don't because we're trying to we're trying to uh, we're trying to analyze this independent. We understand that, too. And that's part of why he had a bad game. But he also had a bad game independent of that. He looked completely scared in the pocket from basically the first snap on. He was panicking in the pocket. He had no feel for the pocket. He was looking down at the pass rush. He was not looking upfield. When he scrambled, he looked to the sticks. This is what he did. He had corners sitting on his throws. He threw to where corners are sitting. He didn't identify free blitzers. This was a very bad game for Daniel Jones. In my opinion, by far the worst. Not by far, but that or Tampa was probably the worst of his career. And, and there were some early bad games too as a rookie. Like he had trouble against the Minnesota Vikings defense. And I remember that game uh, as a rookie. He also had trouble versus the Bucks as a rookie. Todd Bowles seems to have a good game plan against him, which, you know, and it's not all that surprising uh, considering Todd Bowles is one of those coordinators who's going to attack, who's going to drive everything on the line of scrimmage. But yeah, man, it, it, it's a tough spot they're in. Uh, before we get into the tape, actually, I do want to, we've spent 30 minutes without any tape, so we probably should should get to it. But I'll say this, Nick, because I wanted to talk to you about this, and I and we didn't, I didn't think we had time last night, or I didn't think about it last night. It doesn't impact what I would have done this past offseason because I still would have played it the same way, regards to Saquon Barkley and Daniel Jones. Because for me, it's all about the long term with Saquon Barkley and extending a running back, especially one who's had his injury history. But it does honestly feel like this offense is noticeably worse without Saquon Barkley on the field. And in some ways it feels like some of what Barkley said to the media this off season, like I feel like my situation's a little different and our offense was pretty much carried by me this, and he didn't say those words, but you could tell he felt that and he implied it in a lot of ways versus, you know, the situation he mentioned the Mahomes situation or whatever. It's, it does honestly feel a little bit like that. And Maybe it's because they don't, they can't establish a run game. They can't go under center. I don't know, man. But like, it just feels like when he's not on the field, these past two games, the defenses are just full. Like they don't respect the passing game to begin with, but when he's not on the field, they are just not respecting anything at all. And everything seems so easy for them because then they don't have to respect the run game either. And it really makes it difficult. What are your thoughts on that? I think there's some merit to it. But Saquon Barkley was there for the 40 to nothing absolute shellacking True. the Giants suffered against the Dallas True. Cowboys in week one. So I, I'm not going to I'm not going That's to come at, come at anybody for having that opinion, because I do believe Saquon Barkley is a difference making player. When you can get a difference making player on the football field and then a difference making tackle, it's going to make your offense a lot better. But I don't know if it's I don't know if there's as much credence as some would like to believe. Yeah, no, I still don't think it's as much as some like to believe for sure. Like the Robert Griffins of the world who was because oh, um, then it's someone destroyed him. It was not even a Giants Twitter guy, like some analyst that I like. I forgot who maybe Carter Donick or somebody. I'm trying to remember the name like destroyed him. RG3 went off again about the Jones versus Barkley thing. And, and he's like, here are Saquon Barkley's no amazing numbers from his career. Here's his re the Giants record with him on the field. And it's like horrific. And it's like, so how much of an impact does he make? And then the fact of the matter is like long term, you don't want invested running back into a single running back. Yes. Like we still are well aware of that. I just feel like, man, this offense feels so helpless looking without without him on the field. And that's maybe just how they're designed right now. Like. You know, we talked about it yesterday, but my biggest concern was like how much of last season was Daniel Jones growing? How much of it was them coming up with insanely good scheme to fit his skill set? But then once that scheme is figured out, does he have any kind of like reaction to it? Is there any way for him to do something different? To, and, and you know, 
people are going to blame Dable. People are going to blame Kafka. But all I know is Dable, I, all I know is his sample size with the Bills and his sample size in his first season of Giants. Daniel Jones has a lot longer sample size, four, five years with the Giants, three different systems, three different coordinators. So if it, if it comes push to shove and you guys are going to pit me or anyone's going to pit me against those two, you know where I'm going with this. I hope they keep Dable. I'll, I'll, be, I'll just say it right now. And I think you're on the same page there, Nick. 100%. Correct me if you're wrong. Yeah. No, a hundred percent. And also, man, I'm not trying to stick up for, for Dable or Kafka. Look, this, the giants got embarrassed. Like right. first person you got to blame is the coach in those situations. But I think the, the, the Daniel Bellinger injury and then not being able to adjust, I think there's something to yes. that. And I also just think the giants are limited as an offense with Daniel Jones as their signal caller. I think that's just a sad reality. And I think Brian Dable is fully aware of it. I think we saw the frustration of Dable throwing the tablet. I wish he didn't do that. It's not a great look. Yes. It's definitely not a great look. But I, he's a fiery guy, Brian right. Dable, right? Which like the Giants, like. Have ha- the Giants have had some fiery coaches in their past. Like Tom Coughlin could get fiery. He would yeah. eat your ass. Yeah. Bill, Par- Bill Parcells, one of the most fiery guys, man. He you know who wasn't go fiery? To- McAdoo and Shermer. Nobody wants yeah. that. Like No. Judge had some fire to him. He was a little weird, though. A little bit different. But I appreciate that type of fire. And I understand the frustration, too. If you, I think that was because of the Waller 7, which we'll go over yeah. that play as well. Waller was open. Like you could have found Darren Waller. He was NFL open because I know he Jordan was, was saying that he wasn't open, but you know, I hate to break it to Jordan, but like that's NFL open. You have to throw the anticipation. Like it's not, you don't want to wait for the guy to be open. Like that's not the point of playing quarterback. You're not yeah. supposed to just wait for the guy to be open and say, now he's open. That's how you lose in the NFL by waiting for them to be open. You're supposed to throw it before they're open. Tariq Wallen or whoever that was, who's a very long defender, right? He was in an area to maybe where he could have made a play, but the right spot to a six foot six tight end who can jump up and pluck it out of the air. You can put touch on that. That's that's very the whole back pylon to work with the whole back end zone to work with. Yeah, so I, I just you think see Ben Solak's breakdown of that play. It was really interesting. I think I, I, think I did, yeah. Because he was yeah. questioning the ball placement too, and I was confused by that too. Because it looks like he run the intended target ran a pivot route, and then Jones placed the ball on the outside shoulder of the pivot. Yeah, route. he thought. I think Jones believed that uh, Paris Campbell was just going to sit there. Okay. He didn't realize he was flowing to the bat. I don't know if that's choice based on leverage. I'm not 100 yeah. percent certain. Both him and Wandale. Wandale came off the motion, which I liked too, because this was the double China seven route only from a different formation using Wandell in the motion as the outside player. Who's going to run that in route. They chose to run pivots there, but they also changed the personnel because what they did in the past with the double China was the tight end would be to the weak side where the running back choice route is Matt Breida released that way, but that was Isaiah Hodgins. They actually used this with Darren Waller as the seven to the side with the, the two wide receivers who were running the in. And then he ran that seven route. He was open on that play. That, that was, that was a rough look for Daniel Jones. It reminded me a little bit of 2021 when Daniel Jones would just try to trust the quick passing concept and they would drive down on those at that point too. Remember against the chiefs, Nick Bolton almost uh, might've been a pick six actually to like start the game too on Monday night yes. football, ironically enough. And for those who have, uh, cause I saw this in your D in your replies and mine, like for those who have, um, Asked like, why did they resign him if they feel like they're limited or like they had to hide some of the uh, th- come up with this crazy unique scheme last year to make him work? And the answer is, they feel fail feel like he can grow as a player. They're we've talked about this in the past, but I need to reiterate this: they didn't sign Daniel Jones because of his first four years body of work. They signed him based on a projection. That's what contracts are: they're a projection into the future. They believe that Jones, and it's not over; it's just four games in the year. But they believe that Jones can progress mentally to the point where they can expand the offense and do different things that they want to do. They believe that he can go on a trajectory, and he showed enough signs of progress 
that he can become a different player than even he was last year when they had to run that smoke and mirrors offense. They believe that. That's why they resigned him. But they also resigned him with some outs in the contract. So it's not like they fully went all in on it, but they believe that we're going to take a chance on him. He's young. It's impossible to find quarterbacks in the NFL. The market also drives this decision as well. But also they believe that he can progress. It was a projection-based contract. So that's the answer to that one. It's not as if like they're just idiots and they couldn't figure this thing out, Dable and Shane. They thought they saw enough to believe that he can progress progress from a mental stamp processing standpoint. And he struck when the iron was hot too. You just won a playoff yeah. game. The yeah, offense was competent. Right. Yeah. They're, they're not going to be like, all right, you know how the locker room is so tight and everyone loves yeah. in New York. We're just going to say bye to you right now. And what's your alternative? What's your, your next option? Right. That's Tyrod Taylor. Like that's the market part of it. And I like Tyrod. I'm not trying to throw shade at Tyrod, but Tyrod gets on the field and gets hurt a lot. He's a lot smaller than Daniel Jones, but Daniel Jones has to play better. Like there's no, there's, it's not an opinion at this point like that's just the straight damn facts unfortunately it is and we'll see if it happens like he's going to be better with an he, he's a better player with a good offensive line we all know that like that's anybody, just, is. anybody is right so let's get into some of the film breakdown now nick so we're going to start with the second play of the game for the giants offense yeah second play of the game we got a bunch of the opening drive here from the giants a good opening drive that unfortunately stalled but i liked this play because it's split pack g T bash quarterback counter with a bubble on the backside. So look what the Giants are doing here. You're going to pull Evan Neal and Marcus McKeithen. You can kind of see how they're off the line of scrimmage a little bit. And you have split back with Wandale Robinson offset. So the Giants are going to go into the mesh point here. And if Daniel Jones right now, he is reading number 10. Number 10 gets sucked a little bit too far inside. So he hands the football off to Wandale Robinson with two lead blockers. So it's basically Wandale against that safety who flies downhill and does a pretty solid job making this tackle. I just thought this was creative. And it also just kind of points to what the Giants did this entire game, which is packaged plays. And what I mean by packaged right. plays is there's a lot of RPOs, a lot of options for Daniel Jones. It's a big part of what the Giants had success with back in 2022. And here's another package play because if Daniel Jones didn't like this, he could keep it. And now he's following McKeithen and Evan Neal as lead blockers, but he hands the football off. And this is a good chunk play on second and five. Yeah, I love that they got Wondell Robinson involved early in a different variety of ways, including here as a runner. We discussed in the offseason that could be something that comes into play. And with Barkley out, it's a good usage of his skill set. It's an excellent usage of his skill set. And if you saw in the previous, this is the same play. You had Darren Waller, because I like how you motioned Wando Robinson, but not Darren Waller. You had Paris Campbell on the opposite side with the bubble. So that's three options for Daniel Jones. Hand the football off, run it yourself, or throw the football to the bubble. Giants rarely throw that bubble in this context. It's typically the decision is made at the mesh point, whether hand the football off or keep it yourself. Here you he hands it off. Good decision. And this is the very next play. It's a play action ro rollout. And this is a good job by Daniel Jones to avoid Jamal Adams. And he had he has um, Darius Slayton open here, if we look. And this isn't, I'm not killing Daniel Jones for this specific play. He has to avoid Jamal Adams. He gets Daniel Bellinger on the quick little dump off. But I think Daniel Jones is one of the best quarterbacks in the league at faking these handoffs. And he yes. does it a lot. You see how he has that hand out there? You'll see it on the um on the other on the other end zone. But look at Darius Slayton, the top of your screen. It's pretty open right there. Now I don't, I don't think it's think, the most I don't think he's ever looking there though, unfortunately. I don't think I don't think so either. I believe his eyes are on Jalen Hyatt on the uh on the uh, on the crosser, but the one thing is like you know Jamal Adams just came at you, so who else is right. in the mathematical in the, equation yes. for to be on Darius Slate? And it's little things like that. It's not the most egregious thing, but it's something because a lot of quarterbacks will know. Okay, 
that safety just blitzed. Right. Who's on Darius Slayton? Now you have the deep safety and you have the high low with Wondell Robinson in the flat. And Daniel Jones yes. just doesn't even see it. So it's just like, damn. And luckily he finds Daniel Bellinger here to get up a few yards. But the difference is now you're setting yourself up for what a second and three. That's an easy first down to Darius Slayton. He right. makes one man miss could be a touchdown. So little plays like that can go a long way. And a few other things about this play, like I give Daniel Jones credit for this incredible fake. You can even see it slightly pulls Jamal Adams in instead of him driving right at Daniel Jones. That's where he deserves the credit. The reason why there's some put where, where you kind of take away a little credit is why are we the team that we can, that opposing teams can just shoot off the edge against because no one respects Daniel Jones ability to throw down the field. So they're just shooting guys off the edge consistently because they don't have to put them players like Jamal Adams in the deep half because of what Nick said, Jones is looking toward the sticks. And this is something my brother brought up, brought up last night at the game, Nick. And I put up a clip, you know, the Wanda Robinson clip you put up. I thought it was another good example of that. One thing I just, I think Jones is, that's a deficiency in Jones's game is when he does get out of a pocket and start to scramble, I feel like his eyes never go from high to low. His eyes are always straight toward the stick yep. route, whatever route is near the sticks. But if 100%. he starts to read the defense high to low, and like you said, in this spot, this should be an easy read for him. He has a safety blitzing off the edge. What does that mean? Like you said, there should be an opening in that deeper half of the field on that side where there is with Darius Slayton. So you don't want to kill him for missing Slayton here, but you also want to point out like he never is reading high to low. He's always eyes are always toward the sticks. Like we credited him last year with doing a better job keeping his eyes forward. To some extent he did, but it's still like we never see the throw to Slayton here. We never see him roll out and throw something downfield. It's always to the sticks. And it's an issue for this team because yes, he got a first, you know, he got a little completion here. They move the ball eventually, but you want the quarterback to understand with the safety screaming off the edge, there could be something open in that deep half. Uh, and, then, and unfortunately here, he doesn't see it. No, and he doesn't see it often, unfortunately, if we're just going to call a spade a spade. But look, ball to ball right there. Daniel Jones is one of the best Great at faking those. Ball to ball. And you're right. Jamal Adams changes his path. And then he's like, oh, crap. Daniel Jones athletic gets out of it. But he had Slayton here, and he missed it. And it is what it is. He didn't seem like he was even looking in that direction. And here we have a third and six. And I just wanted to, this is one of those first big plays of the game where I was like, yeah, I love having Wanda yeah. Robinson back on the roster. This is just a simple, this is something the Giants run, something everybody runs. You have a three-by-one set. Matt Breed is offset to the weak side. And the three is, that means the innermost receiver is Wanda Robinson. He is just going to run a quick little stick route. And you're going to use the number one and the number two to clear out space for Wanda Robinson. And you have that pick right there by, I think it's Darius Slayton, who's the number two wide receiver, about five yards outside of Wandell Robinson. He runs directly at his defender through the inside shoulder, which creates a pick against the off-leveraged defensive back who's over the top of Wandell Robinson. And then there's nobody around Wandell Robinson for a third and six. This is just a well-schemed play. A lot of NFL teams use it. It's not novel, and it's well-executed by the Giants. Yep, great play. Well executed, and you get the natural pick. They're never going to call offensive pass interference there because they shouldn't. It's 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 by by the rules illegal play. Good job by Jones to throw from the far hash too. It's somewhat of like a far hash throw. He's lined up on the on the far ha on the right hash, and he throws the football. So, you know, decent play there. Um, here, what what's the next play we got going here? Second and eleven. Yeah, this is a second and eleven. This is still on the uh, first drive, I believe. Uh, this is a good cover three beater, and Jones ends up picking up eight yards with his legs on this second and eleven with ten eighteen left in the first quarter. You have the jet motion, something the Giants incorporate a lot of with Paris Campbell, single back formation with Darren Waller as the wing out of eleven personnel, and look how many guys are kind of open on this play. Because this is a cover three beater. You're just running two. Everybody's off leverage. You can see it's middle of the field close with the middle of the field safety. You have both cornerbacks who are in off leverage here. 
And both of them are just going to curl up in the voids with two de- two offensive receiving weapons running to the flat in Paris Campbell and Gary Brightwell, which is going to expand the curl flat defenders. So in cover three, both those curl flat defenders are going to be expanding outside of the numbers. And both of these wide receivers are curling just inside of the numbers. And Daniel Jones, look, the pocket isn't great with Evan Neal, who does a solid job recovering here. But there are throws to be made here, and it just doesn't happen. But he ends up picking up eight yards. Again, I'm not killing him for this specific throw, but the play call had two receivers come open against the defense that, I mean, you watched the right. film. How much did Seattle run cover three? It was just cover yeah. three, basically, most of the game, cover three and cover six. And it's just uh, another throw that just didn't happen when it could have, really. And these are the types of holes you want to find against cover three, right? Like those two curls are, are, are throws that you can make. There are people somewhat in the vicinity, but you can stick those balls in there. And I just think like, this is kind of one of those examples. This isn't even the best example of it, but this is kind of one of those examples where I just wish he would reset the pocket. Like I see Geno Smith doing all game and shuffle his feet and find a new landing spot within the pocket so he can throw the football. But, you know, they taught him to run last year and he he likes to run a lot. And I feel like this year even more so. And I feel like this year he's staring down the line way more than he did last year. I think his eyes are going straight to the line off the snap and I don't blame him. I get it. The pressure's bad, but some of these pockets, it'd be nice to shuffle and reset, stay in the pocket. Cause you're only, you're going to find your passing solutions from within the pocket. When you do run like this, your options are either run like he does here and pick up some yards with his legs. He did a great job of last season. And he did a great job of in this game or get lucky toward and throw a sideline type of throw like off a scramble type play but on at that point you're giving the defense the edge because the structure is broken from the play the rhythm and the timing is broken from the play from the passing standpoint as well so yeah i honestly think dude there are there are certain plays where daniel jones he's trying to extend the play and use his legs which is you know we applaud that but you just got to stay in the pocket he does it too yeah. much like how many times did he evade clean pockets that's game? my thought i think people don't realize it people who saw the broadcast and people are shouting at us but like he evaded a good amount of clean pockets in this game. Not a good amount, but enough, right? Enough. And we'll, we'll, we can go over some more of those as well. Yeah, so here are some telltale signs that the Seattle Seahawks are going to bring pressure. This is the play here. I'll run it real <laughs> quick. That uh, Devon Witherspoon just sacks uh-huh. Daniel Jones and no one accounts for him. Five-man protection. Daniel Orlovsky did a good job breaking this down, but there are a couple points that, that I noticed on the tape that I wanted to highlight as well. Look at the positioning pre-snap of the Seattle defender. So you have a three over three outside of the hash. But Witherspoon isn't really getting outside. Like, look how far inside Witherspoon right. is close to that hash. And then look how wide Bobby Wagner is. Bobby Wagner is on that hash. So that's the such a pro- tip off that Bobby Wagner. Yeah, that's like, a, the, look at, it's crazy, the, the, Nick. The thought process is, if you're the Seattle Seahawks, you want to keep three over three. You want that yes. mathematical equation to be even. So you're going to put Bobby Wagner in a position to where he can easily cover whoever is going to be the right. inside release from that three wide. You're cheating side. him over there pre-snap. You're cheating him over there pre-snap. And if you look at Witherspoon, Witherspoon does a solid job actually selling this. He takes steps, but his eyes just go right back to Daniel Jones, right? Daniel Jones is looking in that direction, looking at the motioning. Darius Slayton, who was kind of setting up behind Wandale Robinson. Like, I like that kind of action out there. It's out wide yes. as well from the far hash. But Jones needs to realize that this player might be coming. That has to be in your account. That has to be in the back of your mind. And he just overlooks it. And again, the Giants aren't even going to look at the field side where the three wide receivers are. Instead, they're going to try to get the football to Darren Waller, it appears like here, who was open, but it didn't matter because Seattle Seahawks brought this pressure because they probably figured that it would not be accounted for with the running back on the opposite side and the tight end on the opposite side, knowing that it's going to be a five-man protection. It's going to be on whoever, maybe Daniel Jones, to account for Devon Witherspoon here. Nobody accounts for him, ends up being a sack. Ideally, you want him to slide protection. Ideally, you want him to move 
Matt Breida over the running back and, and flip where he's blocking from, or you just want Jones to read it and try to throw hot. One of those three things. It's but, the read it in the hot, in my yeah. opinion, right? Yeah. Because you know that that guy could possibly come because it ends up being five on five. You have five guys on the line of scrimmage, but the end man to the boundary side ends up dropping off. You see him drop off. So you still yeah. have five rushers, but the protection never slid in that direction. And maybe it shouldn't, but you have to just be aware of the fact, oh crap, that guy could be coming. I got to count him in the blitz count. Right. If he does come, throw hot, which Daniel Jones did, I think, on the first play of the second half, if I'm not mistaken, to Wandell Robinson. Yeah, he did do that on that play. And well, the Giants are very lucky that this wasn't a sack force fumble because if you look at it, Daniel Jones seems completely unaware of the free blitzer. But my whole thing is like, yes, he had a good example of that in the second half. But in my mind, in year five, dude, you have to be there. There can't be any of these anymore in year five. If you're a great quarterback, like if you're just some developing dude who's like decent at times, like fine. But like Tom Brady, Eli Manning, all the good ones, they'd never have these issues. They're in so much control over the line of scrimmage pre-snap and where they're not missing free blitzers like this, especially not exam like they may miss a free blitz if it's so well designed and disguised right nick but this is not that well designed and disguised bobby wagner's not in the middle of the field he's cheating over from the snap look at where he's aligned like you got to be able to figure this one out as a fifth year quarterback in, in everyone's mind not my mind everyone's mind including brian dables probably daniel jones is too and mike oh, kafka sure. and tyranny and everyone like you have to understand this is not us being critical of jones not nitpicking jones it's fifth year. We need him to start taking more control over the pre-snap protections and understanding examples. And I think I'd be less angry at this, Nick, if I didn't hear your breakdown because I wasn't really smart enough to consider the Bobby Wagner wrinkle there. But with the wrinkle of Bobby Wagner cheating like that, it's it's a bad look, I think. You could see Wagner's head too. He's like turning and looking at those receivers. Like those little like telltale signs, like not just your positioning and your spacing and your leverage, but it's also like Devon Witherspoon's looking at the quarterback and Wagner's kind of like kind of side-eyeing. Oh, what's uh, what are they doing over there with that motion? Yeah. Hmm, let me see what's going on. It's it's just yeah. one of those things where you just got to be aware that that could happen and have a contingency yeah. plan. You can't just go in there as a fifth-year quarterback and be like, oh, well, I'm just going to roll with this five-man shitty protection that I'm right. going to get and then just get absolutely clobbered. And now here is the third and 11 where Daniel Jones misses Wandale Robinson down the field. You can see him doing jumping jacks, getting his cardio in around the 40 yard line. And Jones bails this pocket. And I'm wondering like, Hey, why is he bailing this pocket? Cause it doesn't no seem idea. like Wandale is going to, it seems like he's going to take this up the field and maybe break inside, but maybe he read that Daniel Jones was flowing outside and saw where the safety is. You could see him kind of cheating between the numbers in the hash. So he broke it on the seven. And then at this point, Wanda Robinson entered his break. He's on the numbers. Daniel Jones has his eyes downfield. He is running, so it's not the easiest throw, but there is space. I've seen people be like, look, Quandre Diggs is baiting him. If you put that yeah. football towards the sideline, like Quandre Diggs isn't going to get there. You don't even He's see him on the screen there. right here. Like, this is about as wide open as you're going to get as a wide receiver in the NFL. And Daniel Jones has plenty of time, even though he evaded the pocket, to release this football, to throw this football to Wandale Robinson, who... This underneath defenders occupied with Darren Waller. Jalen Hyatt's basically running out of bounds yeah. now on the drag route. So everybody's getting sucked to the sidelines, but Wondell is your clear read, but Jones is just looking at Waller to see if Waller can maneuver his way in front of the defender, similar to the interception that he threw a few weeks ago, where right. Waller, I think against Dallas, where Waller just kind of stayed put. He's looking for that instead of looking beyond that and being like, that safety had a lot of depth. That safety was at depth. So who the hell is covering Wandale Robinson if you have those two defenders in the middle of the field looking right. at Darius Slayton? So it's just like, <laughs> he's not doing the math in his head of yep. where are the defenders in relation to my receivers. 
That's like one of his biggest problems is post-snap, he doesn't put together the defensive movements and the route concepts that he might know or not know is happening. But it's just so robotic for him. I think that was a great breakdown by you and a great way to kind of break that down in, in when you said he's not doing the math in his head. Because that's what it is. Like, that safety's playing at a crazy amount of depth. Like, you guys can claim that he can't make the throw but guess what if he if you're saying he can't make the throw because the safety that means you're you're actually you're by doing so you're actually criticizing jones because justin herbert makes this throw every freaking time and so does patrick mahomes and so does all the quarterbacks who win super who are put you in super bowl contention if your problem is that you think the safety is going to break on this then you have a problem with the arm talent by the of the quarterback but yes. the issue i have is not that the issue i have is twofold it's one goes back to the start of the play, man. It's him looking at the pressure. It's a four-man pressure. The Giants do a really good job of picking up. They have a lot of guys in protection here. What do they have? Four guys running routes, and they have six guys in protection here against a four-man pass rush. If you give it a second, Daniel, the offensive line settles in here. Like You don't need to leave this pocket. You need to stay in this pocket where you're going to have the best chance to make a throw from when you're not rolling right. And you need to let it resettle and you need to just shuffle and reset like all the good quarterbacks do. And he did it last year better. And there's an example of him doing it later in the game that I'm going to throw up. But like, let's see it from this angle. And then I'll go back to the second part of the problem. But from this angle, like catch the snap. He panics here. Go back to where he, where he first panics real quick, if you can, Nick. Yeah, of course. So and I'm wondering, right. like, this could like the pocket is is wide. Open. Everybody's pocket. blocked. Everyone's everyone's blocked, blocked. This is not a pocket to be leaving. And even if he doesn't, by the way, he can hit Slayton over the middle, too. It's not just Wandell. If he sits in this pocket, he can hit Slayton, who's coming over the middle as well, free. Um, it's going to, you know, he has to throw into a second window away from the linebacker. But this is just not a pocket to be escaping from. And I understand what people are going to say. When you get beaten down that much, when you have that much pressure, you start to see ghosts. You start to escape the pocket. That's not his fault. None of us are saying it's his fault. What we're saying is we don't, this is not going to lead to wins. What we're saying is this is not going to lead to offensive production. What we're saying is this is not good. We're not taking blame for who it is. We just don't want it to happen because you can't win football games when you escape pockets like this. And when everybody sits there and tells us that he never had a clean pocket all game, what do you call this? What the hell do you call this? Like, this is a clean pocket. But then it goes to the second problem, Nick. When he's rolling right, Every time he's looking, like you said, for Waller to win this route, he's looking at the sticks. He's never reading high to low because if he is reading high to low, he's going to notice Wando Robinson wide open. He's going to make that throw. He's not an idiot. And maybe it's on him for not looking high to low, or maybe it's on him for what you said, the math problem of it all. Like, why is he not recognizing that there is space in that area of the field to throw the football into? Either way, you can say we're nitpicking by picking out these four or five, six plays, but in a game with this margin of error so small like this one, where the Giants defense did everything they can to give them a chance, you need to make these plays. They can't be throwaways on third and 11. It's a third and 11, ladies and gentlemen. A third and 11 throwaway. That requires booze no matter what. Not even yeah. the fact that you have a receiver who's wide open. I get him. And people are like, oh, well, he's like 5'7 out there. It's like, dude, I don't know if Daniel Jones saw him or not. I he really didn't. Don't. He, he must not have. But you have to understand that that's a possibility. Or maybe the there's a lack of rapport between Daniel Jones and Wandale because of the ACL injury. Maybe. I'm trying to play devil's advocate here. But when you when you turn on the film and you see these misses, and it's not just a one-off, and even if it was just a, a one-off, you're not seeing the big plays be made either. And you brought this up a couple of weeks ago, and I think it was a very astute uh, observation from you. Like People are like, oh yeah, Justin Herbert, Patrick Mahomes, they miss plays. It's like, sure, they make a hell of a lot of plays, though. Daniel right. Jones, unfortunately, you can afford doesn't. to miss plays when you make plays, but when you don't make plays, you can't afford to miss the ones that you have. Exactly, man.
Um, it's unfortunate, but I, I, I would guess that one, he's just not looking downfield. I, I think the eyes are just always yeah. the sticks on these scramble plays. And until I see a bomb touchdown off of one of these or some kind of 40 yard play or 30 yard play downfield, I'm just going to believe that. I don't know if I've seen a single one in his whole career while rolling right. I mean, you can talk about the slate and run from Tampa. And, and if you look, if you find me one play or two plays, you're you're not understanding my point. My point is not absolute. Maybe it's happened once or twice in five years, but once or twice in five years is the point. Not that it's never like it's like someone was arguing me on Twitter, Nick, and I know people don't like this, but I just find it so funny. So I'm going to bring this one time up and I shout out to Chris and shout out to Frank, who's like, stop feeding the trolls, stop talking about them. But I'll do one thing just because I then find it funny. <laughs> Someone was like getting on me on Twitter because I called it in a hundred yard pick six return instead of a 96 yard or a 97 yard pick six oh return. Like, that's literally what we're dealing with. That's the level of stupidity that we're dealing with at times and why it's easy for us to get frustrated. But let's move on from that, Nick. You know what I have to say about that? <laughs> there it is. <laughs> <laughs> oh crap i have it on loop uh no sorry guys i'm new all right let's get back to the plays here ladies and gentlemen so on this play i just wanted to kind of highlight it i, I liked this this play is the third and four the giants just kind of isolate Love matt Breida with a mesh concept and he's not in the mesh he's releasing from the from the uh from the running back position to the to the lone tight end side i guess it would be because it's a three by one set and it looks like Evan Neal is kind of back a little bit. Almost got that Juwan Taylor call, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> but it's a but it's a three by one set. And I love how Matt Breida just releases in front of the face. First, he's looking for protection, then he just releases. And you have a mesh concept that's, I believe, one of the receivers, maybe Darius Slayton, because typically when the Giants run this, they run mesh and then they run about a curl about five to six yards beyond the mesh who sits in between the zones. It looks like it gets kind of muddled up here, but it just creates a lot of traffic for Bobby Wagner to cover Matt Breida out of the backfield. And this is an easy conversion for the Giants. And these are the types of plays that you need, man. This is a third and four. It's a big-time conversion that the Giants are trying to get. Giants aren't doing anything offensively. So just run some simple concepts, mesh concept. It looks like man coverage. It's not really handled all that well. It seems like there's a miscommunication from the Seattle Seahawks because a bunch of people end up taking two receivers. There's, what, three on them? And then there's Bobby Wagner against Darren Waller and Matt Breida. So I just kind of wanted to put this in here as well. And I wanted to highlight one thing about this play. You did a good job breaking it down. I love Thank the hustle from I love the hustle from Darren Waller here. Look at Darren Waller coming across the field, gets out in front of Bobby Wagner just to get him in his way and allow for some extra yards after the catch for Matt Breida. And you know, people are questioning Darren Waller. I don't really question him personally. No, I just think this offense either. is an absolute disaster, and that's the issue here. But I love his effort here in a, in a spot like this. That's great effort. Kind of similar to another Giants player that the Giants or another player the Giants traded for, like Isaiah Simmons on defense. The guy was hustling. Great everywhere. effort in this game, Isaiah Simmons. And Great everywhere. Looking forward to talking to that for the defensive podcast. All right, though, yep. let's move on to this second and 17 with 117 left in the second quarter. Let me just scoot through this real quick. This is the same play that we just watched. You can see Bobby Wagner is way out leveraged against Matt Breida. Look, by the time he reacts, Matt Breida is already outside the hash and Bobby Wagner, according to Matty Brown, has stone feet. So just mm. a good play design. But back to the second in 17, this is the almost pick six that is thrown by Daniel Jones to Tariq Wollin. This is just how defenses are playing the New York Giants to the field side. The Giants don't, don't really throw to the field side all that often, and they're playing the Giants to the flat. And what I mean by that is look at Tariq Wollin. He's aligned about head up on the outside wide receiver, but his hips and his eyes yes. are shaded to the number two. So what are they running? They're running a trap coverage here. They want Daniel Jones to throw to the number two to the flat. 
And then Tariq Wollin is just going to drive down on it and almost come away with a pick six. This is similar to the pick six that the Dallas Cowboys had when Saquon Barkley released to the flat and Trevon Diggs hit him, popping the ball up in the air for an easy pick six. This is similar to the Indianapolis Colts game. This is similar to a lot of film when the Giants do decide to throw to the field side because for whatever reason, Daniel Jones won't make the throw outside the numbers beyond five yards. He's going to throw to the flat. And these teams are inviting that throw. But for whatever reason, they, the Giants never throw it. And here, the safety is at least, um, I mean, he's outside of the numbers, but he could you can make the argument that he could cover the ground from that from that distance. But there are other plays where it's not that case, and the Giants right. just aren't making that throw. You could throw a back shoulder here, by the way. There's enough space to go back shoulder, or at least try it, right? If you go back shoulder, it's not going to be picked. It's going to be at least incomplete, and now they have to respect it. Right. Like, that's the other thing. Like, try to make the throw sometimes make the freaking throw. So they have to respect it. Right. Like, I talked about this with Nick Turchin, uh, Nick, who who saw this play and, 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 and you know, sent me a DM. And he, he, he said that that this is that I was right, that it was the coordinator making the play call, which I was interesting. He he refers to it as press bail, read it coverage, which I wasn't too familiar with, Nick. So maybe you, you've heard of that and you can you can get into I that. But. Yeah. And, but his, his opinion is you're right. Like the coordinator is making this play call because of Daniel Jones. And he's like his, he, he, any kind of minor deception, he feels he gave me the breakdown in case anyone's interested. Obviously those who are long-term listeners know Nick Turchin. He's now a coach in college football. He's a very bright football mind. He said, basically what it comes down to with Jones is any kind of minor deception. He's not good with he's, he can't get his eyes in the right place. And in his opinion, they have to move on the giants from Daniel Jones. So that's <laughs> his evaluation. <laughs> I feel like yeah. has some value Hard but... at this point. It would have been <laughs> valuable information. Yeah. a while. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, I love how, you know, isn't that such like a tertian breakdown too? Like it's so terse wow. and to the point, like there's no fluff at it to all. It's just like, it's just, it's just, it, it, I love how he breaks. He's a very David. direct individual. He is, he, is, he is a football guy. Like that is what he is. Like he lives, oh, breathes, yeah. and eats football. That's his personality. He's, he's what we people talk about football guys. That's him. But um, yeah. So just I'm a big fan thing. of Turchin. We had a lot of good times down in Mobile yeah. together. So yeah, well, I had a relationship with Turchin before I even knew who you were, which is yeah, kind of right. funny. But um, yeah. So that press bail technique, though. So this is a cover six play, which is quarter quarter half, meaning that the defense is going to play cover four to one side of the football field and then cover two to the other side of the football field. On the cover two side, which is the Tariq Wollen side, you can get very creative with what his assignment is and how he executes said assignment. So here you can see how it looks like you're going to be in press and then bail. Press bail means you're lining like you're going to press, but then instead you bail to whatever assignment uh, is it is um that you're executing at the time. It, from the cover six on the cover two side, you can run Meg coverage, right? That means man everywhere he goes. You can do a lot of different things. Against the Giants, when teams are running cover six, they are running some sort of variation. And the read part of the press bail read is he's reading the release of the number two. So if that number two comes outside, he is going to cut underneath and he's trying to come away with a pick six. That's the issue, though, that the Giants have is every time this cover six is ran, that flat defender is always doing that. He's always reading the release of the number two, and it doesn't even have to have a number two receiver there. It could be the running back releasing from the flat, like we saw against the Dallas Cowboys. And in order to combat this, the Giants have to hit that honey hole. They have to hit the hole between the safety or at least threaten it to the field side, and the Giants just do not do that with Daniel Jones. Yep, unfortunately, they have not threatened it at all, and that's why you see a consistent and, array of corners look, sitting on these routes. 
and look at the leverage of the apex defender. The apex defender is this individual right here, right? If you look at that leverage, what is that telling Daniel Jones? It's the defense just hanging sugar out in front of them being like, hey, yeah. we're sweet over here. Look at the leverage. You're going to win on that outside route. Right, it's all right, bait, right, bro. They're just fishing against Daniel Jones with these types of throws. They're going to align him off and to the inside saying, hey, you're going to win on this out route. But every single damn time, that cornerback is going to sit on that shit. That was another great observation by you, Nick, because I think that's like when Nick Turchin tells me any kind of minor deception he's not great with, that's a great example of that. That's a minor deception that the Seahawks use that trick him into thinking he has that. And of course he doesn't because the other corner is just sitting on it. And look, you can tell by the reaction of Devon Witherspoon. Devon Witherspoon knows that's exactly what he's doing. Yeah, he's not just giving right. that, you know, he, he knows he's like, oh man, it worked, it worked. Oh, he dropped it all oh, shit. Like yeah. that's exactly, this is what defenses are doing to the Giants, whether you like it or not. I'm sorry. Yep, that's an unfortunate fact. All right, here's the uh, brutal interception. I think I don't even I don't even play the whole thing. I think I cut it, but <laughs> <laughs> okay. So again, you have a three by one set. You motion Wandale Robinson to be the number one at the snap. You're gonna have the two inside breaking routes off pivots with the seven coming behind. Now the defender, who a lot of people say is in the throwing lane, and I think it is close, would be Tariq Wollen. And Wanda Robinson, maybe he has to do a better job distracting Tariq Wollen. And I would say expanding this route out yes. a little bit more towards the pylon to get Tariq Wollen away from the back pylon. Because that's your your objective right here in this coverage. When you have man coverage, you have a linebacker who is inside of both the hashes. Darren Waller is on the hash. And then you have a safety. Darren Waller runs right at that safety and then just curves around. Who's taking Darren Waller if Tariq Wollen is removed from that play? Tariq Wollen could make a play on the football. But I think a very well-placed football here, it's going to be a touchdown to Darren Waller. And I think Brian Dable would even substantiate that claim by the way he reacted. And if you want to yes. read his lips and play that game. But instead, Daniel Jones went underneath, which is not necessarily a surprise. And I think there's just a miscommunication between him and Paris Campbell. I think Jones thought Paris Campbell was going to sit. Paris Campbell flowed to the inside. I don't know if this is a choice type route and he's reading the leverage and Paris Campbell sells to the outside to get Devon Witherspoon to break to the outside just for him to flow back to the inside, catch it at the goal line, easy touchdown. Maybe that's what Paris Campbell thought. Daniel Jones and him were not on the same page and ends up being an interception, unfortunately. Two it's weeks ago, Nick, I saw a throw made on Monday Night Football by Matthew Stafford where he escaped the pocket, climbed the pocket, didn't escape it. He doesn't never bail. He climbed the pocket and then kept his eye, kept the stripe of his helmet and his eyes straight down the middle for so long before flipping his shoulder back and ripping it to Puka down the right sideline. When he kept his helmet straight down the middle of the field, Nick, it took it sucked up all the Bengals defenders. Now juxtapose that with this play. Look at Daniel Jones's helmet when he catches the snap. He is doing what Devin Witherspoon said he did. He's staring down the exact receiver that he's going to throw the football to the entire time, and then he's throwing the football in that direction. So when Devin Witherspoon says that, what we want to see here is some kind of like, look, I understand it's hard, but even if you just flash for a second to the Breida side before snapping back to that route, it's going to do a better job of maybe, maybe keeping Devin Witherspoon off. That probably won't because every corner that plays the Giants now is just sitting on everything because Jones just throws everything short. And even in that sense, Nick, it's just crazy to me that Jones would continue to throw everything short when he knows and he's heard and he's seen on film that everyone's just sitting on his routes. Shouldn't that mean to him, like light bulb goes off in his head. Let me try to bait them into thinking I'm going to throw short and then throw long. But apparently that's not a, that's not an option for him, I guess. But like the point of him is like, look at his helmet, man. His eyes are just directly in that direction from the entire time. Yeah. That's a, that's a concept where you can read multiple routes off of it, but I still, I don't even really see him check Waller too much on this play. It looks like his eyes go directly to Paris Campbell. You're right. That's what I'm thinking. At, yeah. At first, I, 
at first I wanted to maybe give him the benefit of the doubt. Say, yeah, well, you know, it's a, it's a concept where you have a high low, so you can just look in one location. But it doesn't even look like he's looking at Waller all that much. And he just thought he was going to have Paris Campbell in front of Devon Witherspoon. One thing I wanted to highlight too on the backside, and I'm not blaming Jones for this, but maybe the Giants just should look to use Isaiah Hodgins more in the red zone. Watch mm-hmm. Isaiah Hodgins route here. Ooh. One inside. Yeah. Now it's unfortunate that it cuts off and you have those two underneath defenders. So maybe you could say the football wouldn't be able to get there. But Hodgins is just very good at the top of his break. Watch him stutter those feet, delayed release, delayed release, fire off that outside foot. And he's open against the cornerback who was on him now. And he was good in the red zone last year, Isaiah Hodgins. I know. That's where he was probably the best red zone receiver. He has the only red zone receiving touchdown. No, well, I guess Saquon Barkley did as well against Arizona, but that was on him in a similar type of play where it was just a slant, went inside, and then Daniel Jones delivered in the throwing window. I mean, the throwing window would be there. It would be difficult with those underneath defenders who wouldn't be flowing in that direction if Daniel Jones didn't already throw the football, so you got to take that right. in context. But I'm just impressed by how Isaiah Hodgins creates separation despite the fact that he's not special as an athlete relative to NFL talent. Yeah, I think that's a fair uh, fair observation and a good observation. Maybe that's something they can work in. Use him more in the red zone because he was very successful for them last year there. And here's just a fourth and five. Wandale converts. I think this is probably the best throw from Daniel Jones from the far hash to the outside shoulder before that defender who got dragged up field a little bit by that release. So you can see this is a very similar type of concept that we just broke down, Dan. Only now that defender turned his hips. You see how that defender turns right. his hips? That gives Daniel Jones the okay to throw the football. Because I don't think I included a play, but there was another play on film where it was a similar type of concept. Giants is trying to run stick to the number two. And Daniel Jones saw the leverage of that defender to the outside over the number one. And he hesitated like crazy to throw that football. And he just tried to bait and then look to the one to just get that defender to sink. And then he fired the football to the two. I don't think I included that. But here you could see he's precise and deliberate with his delivery. And I think that's probably the best throw of the game from him on the outside shoulder away from Devon Witherspoon from the far hash. Yeah. I had a couple other throws that I would put in contention, but uh, the one time he, he threw to, but we'll, we'll go fourth and five. It's a fourth and five. It is a fourth and five. Yeah. This is definitely up there. It's one of three throws. He had, he had three that can, I'd say four, I would say the, the scramble play to, to um, Brita also deserves to be in the mix where he kind of broke the pocket and, and found him on the sideline. <laughs> And I wish I included that hesitant play because at least yeah, now it, on right. Jones's radar, right? And you could see there is a distinct action from this cornerback that gives Jones the okay to throw the two. And it's that flip of the hips right there. Yep. Once that defender flips the hips, Jones can fire the football and Jones does well executed on a fourth and five by Daniel Jones. But at least now we're seeing on film Jones realize how defenses are playing him. And I don't have the hesitant play in here, but I did see that. And then you have this play of him firing the football in a good location once that cornerback to the outside committed to the number one. Exactly. All right, Nick, anything else on tape you want to go over before we break down some of the superlatives for the week? I have just the uh, quarter four, second and 10 interception as well that we have. This is just, um, he waited way too long. But if you look at Darren Waller at the bottom of the screen, man, this is like another math thing. He's wide open at the bottom. And Paris Campbell just takes forever to clear Bobby Wagner. Did such a good job sinking underneath Campbell. You can see how he expands. Daniel Jones trying to fire into that throwing window on the dig. But if you just look at the bottom of the screen, no one is with Waller. But that's not where Daniel Jones' eyes were. Daniel Jones was looking for the dig route. Stayed on the dig route. So predetermined. He's predetermining the dig route here. Way too long he stayed on the dig route. He sees 21 and outside leverage and knows he's going to have Paris Campbell against Bobby Wagner in the middle of the field. So it makes sense from that standpoint, right? And you have the safeties who are deep. But man, you just waited way too long, double clutched the football, and 
such a frustrating watch when you see him predetermined snap pre-snap stuff like that, like back back to basic rookie type shit right here with this predetermined. I'm just gonna throw the dig. I'm gonna throw the dig. I'm gonna throw the dig. And of course the dig's not there. No, and Bobby Wagner, I mean, he's old maybe, but he's he did a really good job. This is the play I feel like a lot of people are getting really pissed at Evan Neal for because you can see how Evan Neal blocks Darren Waller. Oh, Waller yeah. I mean, I think that's overblown. He's trying to get he's trying to get Darren Waller out on his route and then assume his assignment. Yeah, he's slow and he's not in the best position, but he's just pushing Darren Waller out of the way so he can handle the defender who's loops inside and then loops inside and ends up hitting Daniel <laughs> Jones, of course, because he's Evan Neal. But that I'm not giving any much credence to who Evan Neal blocked Darren Waller. That's stupid and silly. Agreed on that front. And then right, I had the one one Shane Lemieux yeah. play. Oh God, this one's gross. Yeah. So this is a uh, Draymond Jones, who is a pretty damn good football player. I'm looking at Evan Neal's feet, or I mean, uh, Shane Lemieux's Shane feet. Lemieux. I'm like, is he is he stepped up? No, man. He just gets uprooted and tossed to the side, bro. Like that's just. Brutal. You that shouldn't happen for a starting offensive lineman. And there was another play that was similar to this, but Shane, Lem- it was weird because Marcus McKeithen pulled and the defensive lineman over Marcus McKeithen stayed with Marcus McKeithen. And Shane Lemieux thought he was blocking somebody else. And then he got blindsided and he just got tossed to the side. And I was like, okay, a little bit understandable, just a miscommunication on who his assignment was. Defensive lineman pulled with McKeithen. You don't see that all that frequently. But then on this play, this was a couple plays later, I just see him just get tossed to the deck. Oof. And I'm just like, oh, gosh, it's brutal. All right, man. Yeah, the play strength is just not there for Lemieux. Lemieux is obviously somebody who they're just relying on because they have no other option. But I just think at this point, any kind of street free agent would be better than Shane Lemieux, even though he doesn't know the system. Just anyone who's played any snaps in the NFL, like and was drafted, you know, has played just any games, just throw, whatever. At this was point, drafted, like, yeah. it, was drafted in, the, in the first round by the New York Giants, you know, back in 2013. Yeah, no, you don't want that. But like, yeah, I'd even consider Eric Flowers over Shane Lemieux at this point at guard. And I'm not even kidding. That's how sad it is. Um, let's go over some superlatives here, Nick. Um, let's go start with unheralded player of the game. I think we're going to have the same pick again as we had yeah. last week. Yeah, man. Matt Breida. Matt Breida made what? Two, that's a lot of twos. Yeah, man. He, he extended and he actually left plays on the field. That's not me yeah. uh, disparaging him. He he did. He slipped a couple times. I felt like Matt Breida was, Yeah. I mean, you could make the argument that he was the best player on the offense as well, but I wanted I to reserve so. that for somebody else. I think he had some good reads in the run game too. And which has surprised me a little bit between the tackles. I wasn't expecting as much from him. So He's explosive too. Very he is explosive. explosive. He'll get my unheralded player as well. Best route run. Uh, we both struggled with this one. I didn't come up with anything. Did you? Uh, yeah. The Paris Campbell one on the goal line. Okay. No, no, I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> it was a pick six. No, I didn't have one. There wasn't really one that stood out as like, Oh wow. This is an excellent route. I guess you could say the Isaiah Hodgins one on the backside of a pick six, but what are we doing here? Mm, yeah, we can't go that one, but that would be something. All right. Best throw. I think we have different ones here. So you had the Wondell Robinson stick, correct? C. I have a couple. Let me get these going now on my Twitter. So this was my best throw of the game. It was a second and nine. Jones does something we rarely see from Daniel Jones, which is throw uh, to the field side from the far hash. I just really like two things about this play. The throw actually testing this area of the field from Daniel Jones. And more importantly, at least for me, Nick, it's just how he navigates the pocket. It's not a panic bail like he has been doing. It's a step up and reset like the good ones do. Step up, reset, fire. That's a great play by Daniel Jones. If he does that more often, the Giants are going to have more success on offense. That's what we need to see more of. So that was, for me, and, the best. And wait, uh, go back to that play, yep. too, because if you if you look at that play, 
the Giants are also just taking advantage of how the, the, the that outside corner, no, no. So. how that outside cornerback is handling the number one and the number two, Tariq Wallen. I'm like a I'm like a grandpa when it comes to this technology. Oh you're no, like yeah, a, you're <laughs> like a, you're, you're terrible. terrible. It's like my dad. I feel like I'd eat, but here, sorry. <laughs> Are you shooting this play now? Are you on the computer, Dad? It's <laughs> no, but uh, if you if you rewind a little bit, Dan, yeah, and you go look at the leverage of Tariq Wallen. This is to the field side, mind you. So how do the Seattle Seahawks play this when you have two receivers? They're midpointing now. You can roll it for a little bit. Tariq Wallen, number 27, is going to midpoint the one and the two. You can see the outside release from the two and then the number one. It's a switch release, something the Giants ran a lot last year. You can roll it a little bit more. Watch how Tariq Wallen stays in between in relation to Darius Slayton with his eyes on Darius Slayton, but restricts the space from that switched released original number two, now number one wide receiver. That's called midpointing, where he's basically responsible to bolt and he's going to read the quarterback and he's going to react accordingly. But it's very hard to defend your blind spot with this type of leverage, with this type of coverage. So Daniel Jones, and this is one of the reasons why I love this play, because you're right, he steps up into the pocket that was very well managed by him, but he also fires the football into a location that's very difficult for Tariq Wollen to decelerate yes. and then come down because he was midpointing the one and the two until that original one, which was Darius Slayton, ended up getting into the linebacker and the safety's purview. So that's a very good play by Daniel Jones. And that'll be my... Best throw of the game there from Daniel Jones. Uh, let's go back to the mix and say best play call for you. Yeah, best play call was the tight end leak. Dan, they called the tight end leak. We brought this up with Matty mm-hmm. Brown. They had the tight end leak, only it was that with Adam Thielen in the Carolina game, and he was wide open, but Andy Dalton was sacked. Well, the Giants called tight end leak here, and Daniel Jones, I don't think he was sacked, but he was severely harassed, and the yeah. leak play was very poorly executed by the players. That wasn't necessarily on the play caller, though. And right. the, the leaking tight end was Lawrence Cager. I'm going to imagine that Lawrence Cager probably wasn't supposed to be the leaking tight end. I think it was probably supposed to be Darren Waller and Daniel Bellinger was going to be the blocker on that play, and that's how it was set up. Darren Waller was the blocker because there was no Daniel Bellinger. So it was a poorly executed play, but a well-called play. And I wanted to give the Giants coaching staff some credit. I'm going to give them my best play call is going to be the one you broke down earlier. The third and four with Matt Breida, where Darren Waller hustled to give him some extra yards. I just love that play call against that defense. So it's the one for me. Best player overall for you. I said Wandale, man. I'm just glad he's back. Wandale Robinson is the perfect wide receiver for this system and how they're set up right now. And I don't know if that is uh, belittling or if that's a compliment. I'm not really sure. But I like Wandale Robinson. I think he's a he's a, he's a solid football player who adds some juice. And he's really tough. He had the one play I wish I, I included. Actually, I might have, where he got hit. It was like an end around. Or it wasn't an end around, but he got the football to the edge and he was running along the edge. And a safety came down and hit him in the leg. And he just... Kept his balance. He kept running until he got chased out of bounds. And I was like, holy shit, Wandell, there you go. Some contact balance for the little guy out there. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to say Wandell. Yeah, and contact balance was definitely something we saw on his tape in Kentucky. Definitely something he has. Uh, I'm going to give it to Wandell as well. I struggled with who to give it to between Wandell and Brita. They're basically the only two who deserve even a consideration, unfortunately, for this. Um, and I don't really think either are too good of a game, but... We're doing the best we can here relative to the team. So, Wandell, uh, let's go pass blocking grade one through 10 for you. Jeez, uh, like a 1.7. It wasn't good yeah. by any means. Uh, it was bad. It was very bad. Jones with Jones and Paris Campbell, weird, got sacked 11 times. 
I do think a lot of those were on the quarterback, though. And I do think some of those were also, like you said, just Daniel Jones getting tracked down and tackled at the line of scrimmage or out of bounds. And it was just like, but still, he got killed plenty back there. So 1.7. I'll go 1.1. I just, again, I agree. Some of those sacks weren't on the line, but even so, just watching those individual reps from Azudu and Neil and Kathan and Lemieux, even Bredesen struggled at center. It's just everyone had a tough game run blocking one through 10 for you. I had a 2.6. Wasn't good. Wasn't good. And I felt like Matt Breida maximized his opportunities yeah. other than the times when he did slip up. But in terms of finding the hole, Matt Breida did a good job and he's a small guy, so he can get really skinny through the hole. So yeah, I had a 2.6. I had 2.4. I, I think Matt Breida maximized what he was able to get. I don't have too much credit for the offensive line. I saw some good moments from Evan Neal. I saw some, Good. I saw one good moment from Josh Azudu. I didn't see, really see too much else good from the run blocking. So, and not having Daniel Bellinger really hurts their ability to run block as well. So that was an issue too. All right, that's all we have today on the All Twenty Two Film Podcast, our longest one yet. I guess that's what happens when a game looks this bad. Um, hopefully, we can do a long one for a good game at some point. Uh, I hate breaking down tape like this, Nick. It's it's really it takes a lot of the fun out of it, and this is a job too. But it was fun. It's fun when they're winning and it's fun when the tape is good and it's just not Dude, fun to watch film like this. Like Performing these autopsies. We're like morticians out here yeah. watching this film. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Thank you though for those tuning in. I know it's going to get tough. It's going to be hard if the season spirals, but please help us out, support us, keep tuning in. We're always going to look forward. We're always going to look into players who can help this team moving forward. If the season is in fact lost at some point and the playoffs are out of contention, we'll be looking at players that factor into the future. We'll be considering the tough questions like, should you move a Saquon Barkley at the deadline? Should you look to move some of these players that aren't going to factor in the future? We're going to consider other hard, difficult situations too. Like, is Daniel Jones the quarterback of the future or is it time to maybe consider quarterback in this draft? Those are the questions that we will answer and we will look forward to if the season goes the wrong way. But hopefully the Giants can get back on track somehow, some way, because that will make things so much better for everyone involved. Until then, keep it locked and loaded. Defensive film review on the way as well. That one will definitely be more fun, at least from my first half viewing of it. It was great. Um, and I'm not I'm the type of guy who's not going to bash them for their performance in garbage time, especially after the offense put them in the position they put them in in this game. Dis despicable in a lot of ways. So um, for me, we'll see what happens there. But excited for that one, Nick, because that won't be a little bit more fun. Otherwise, have a great rest of your week, and we'll talk to you soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. 
Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.